I do hope uh, that you have already received or will receive on the way out tonight uh, one of these booklets. Uh, it says Missions Conference on the front of it. Uh, this has a short, brief bio for each one of the missionary families uh, that will be with us or are with us. tells you our schedule. And then on the back it talks about uh, faith promise and what a faith promise commitment is. And that will be important to know because this coming Sunday we will receive our faith promise commitments for this next year. And you say, well, Pastor, what is faith promise all about? We have to come Sunday for that. Uh, but uh, it's on the back of the booklet. We'll explain it in more detail, but we'll have these cards available. We don't have these out tonight, uh, but uh, we just want you to make sure that you don't forget it and leave it at home on Sunday. But uh, you'll receive one of these on the way in. And everyone, every person who comes, uh, whether you're man, woman, boy, or girl, teenager, you'll receive one of these cards because everyone, as we'll see tonight in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, everyone can get involved in the area of missions, in the area of missions. When we get to a missions conference and when you come to a missions conference, we need to start with the why. Why do we support missions? Carl Henry said this quote, the gospel is only good news if it gets there in time. It's only good news if it gets there in time. Time. So why is it our job, even if no one else does their job, uh, why is it our job to be involved in missions? Paul is writing this local church, that uh, he's giving them an example, kind of an admonition of this is why. And that example applies to us tonight. And we're going to see in 2 Corinthians chapter number 8, and we'll look at the end of the chapter on Sunday, but uh, the first eight verses are our text for tonight. And why should we, or why do we, support missions. Let's look at verse number 1 and just read a couple of verses for context. Uh, but in 1 Corinthians chapter or 2 Corinthians, excuse me, chapter 8 and verse number 1, it says, "Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God, or we want you to know the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia." How then a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded under the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering of the saints. And this they did, not as we hoped, but here's the key, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. Uh, first gave themselves and then unto us by the will of God. So let's take these few verses tonight and let's dive into and see why do we as a church and as individuals, why is it important to support missions? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your word and thank you for challenging us. Lord, it is very true. We just sang at the cross that love ran red as your blood flowed down the cross. Lord, the blood that you shed for the sins of the entire world, not just for those locally, but Lord, those all around the world, uh, you're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And Lord, it is our job to share the gospel. And if we're not going to go, Lord, help us to support others who are willing to go. Uh, Lord, I ask that you please speak to our hearts tonight. Please give us what we need and help us to see why it is vital that we support local worldwide missionaries. Lord, both. It takes both. Lord, at the same time, simultaneously, as you said in Acts chapter number 1, Lord, I ask that you please help us to be faithful to do that. 
Oh, Lord, I ask that you please bless our time. Please speak to my heart. Cleanse me of any sin unconfessed in my heart and life. And, oh, Lord, help me to be clean as I preach your word to your people. And, uh, Lord, please draw us close to you and help us to see the example that is set forth. And, Lord, help us to live by the example that is set forth. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're taking notes in your handout, you can write down number one. We see the first thing about this church. We see their difficulty that is mentioned, their difficulty. We know a lot about this church uh, from 1 Corinthians, but for all of the wrong reasons. Uh, some of the things we know in that first letter of the church, Paul is writing to a very spiritually immature church, uh, chiding them, rebuking them for their lack of spiritual maturity, lack of spiritual growth, wishing that he could have talked to them as spiritual leaders, but instead he has to talk to them as spiritual babies. They were baby Christians. Some commentators believe that Paul actually wrote three letters to the church of Corinth, and we only have two recorded in Scripture. But in that first letter, he chides them uh, for their uh, lack of maturity. And then in this second book, he writes them again. But what is it about the churches that Paul is referencing here in verse number 1 that we're encouraged to live by as well? We see, uh, number one, uh, they were under pressure. Look at the first couple verses here. It says, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit or to bring to light or to bring to your knowledge of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. How then a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded under the riches of their liberality. When you think about the location of these churches, there was a lot of difference between these two churches. We, we have a map we'll show you tonight of kind of the location of these places. You see Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea. These are the churches of Macedonia that Paul is writing to. And right in the middle of the screen, you see Corinth. Uh, you see Corinth in the middle and you see all these churches of Macedonia that Paul is referencing. Same general region. But imagine the difference between the north and the south. You would say, well, we're all the big U.S. of A. But if you tell a southerner that they're just as close to a Yankee as the, another southerner, there is a big difference. You know, There is a big difference. There's a big difference between those from the east and those from the west coast. We're totally night and day difference. But when you look at the distance between, it might not look like that much on a map. But the difference between Corinth and just say Philippi was 427 miles. Uh, just for point of reference, the distance between right where you're sitting right now and Atlanta, Georgia, is 426.8 miles. All right? So that's how far away these churches were in reference to each other. But spiritually, it was a totally different thing as well. Spiritually, uh, totally different. Remember what Paul said about the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians chapter 7 and 8, or chapter 1, verse 7 and 8. He said, So that ye were examples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia, for from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God were to spread abroad, so that we need not to speak anything. Hey, you, we don't need missions conference in that region because you guys are killing it. You guys are witnessing to everybody. The missionaries don't have to share the gospel because you guys are doing our job for us. Well, what did he say about Philippi? Philippians 1, verse 3 and 4. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Now, that's not anybody that we know. Because 
as many people as we know, you can't thank God for every remembrance. I mean, even your best friend, you would say, well, you know, I don't thank the Lord for that part of their life. You know, <laughs> we think about different people that we know and love and we say, well, you know, there's a black mark there and there. But Paul says, I can't think of anything negative to say. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. He says in the very next verse, always in every prayer of mine for you all making requests with joy. It pleases me to pray for you guys. It's not something where God just killed that one over there in that corner and you know, all these different things. He said, I enjoy praying for you. I am thankful for you. What about Corinth? Flip side, babies, spiritual babies. So we see the immaturity and, and they're under pressure. These people of Macedonia, these Macedonian churches are under pressure, but they were all involved in missions. And maybe you're here tonight or watching online and you say, well, pastor, I have a life filled with pressure. I have some things going on in my life that maybe nobody even knows about and uh, struggles that I have. But can I challenge and encourage all of us tonight that no matter what we're facing, whether it's spiritual or financial or marital or emotional, we can all be involved in this thing called missions. Every single one of us. We don't know what their affliction was. We see in verse number 2, maybe it was from their own community leaders. It was a dangerous time to be called a Christian. A dangerous place to be living in the world and name the name of Christ. But because of their choice, they had a burden about something. And Paul points it out. And we all have something that we're battling, but let's not allow our battle to distract us from the great need that we have to share the gospel with the rest of the world. There is a need. And, and you don't have to be a preacher, by the way, to fulfill this need. John Blanchard said, Every Christian who is not called to preach is called to send other Christians to do so. Every Christian who is not called to preach is called to send other Christians to do so. So they were under pressure. But not only that, in verse number 2, we see that they were poor. Look at verse 2 again. How then a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy, and their deep poverty. Now, that's not just saying we're poor. That's saying we don't know where our next meal is coming from. Deep poverty. And maybe some of us grew up that way. And man, Pastor, I didn't know if we were going to get to eat each day. I didn't know. And, and certainly there are missionaries in the room, and you've been places where that was the mentality of some of the people you've ministered to. It's not abundant. These were poor people. They didn't have much, but what they did have, they were willing to give up in order to sacrifice so that others could hear the gospel. Paul had a great burden and he shared it with them. But what was Paul's great burden? And what was he trying to get them to see and see as a priority for their lives to keep it focused? It was souls. Souls. Paul's heartbeat was souls. We see that in Romans chapter 9, verse number 3, when he talked about his own countrymen. And he said, For I wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Paul was willing to risk his own soul if that meant that his countrymen would hear the gospel. Now, that's a tall order. But at the same time, it doesn't mean that it's any less needed. Every person needs to hear the gospel. Every person can hear the gospel. 
but we have to be willing to share it. And we have to see that need. We need to have that kind of burden. The kind of burden that doesn't allow you to rest until you know that you've done your part. That kind of burden that pushes you, compels you to do something about it. Uh, J.D. Greer said, In the Bible we find no gap between the call to follow Jesus and the call to engage in missions. No gap. If we say and we name the name of Christ and we say that we're going to follow Jesus with our lives, the very next heartbeat should be consumed with missions. The very next thing we think about. Remember, Jesus, right before he left planet Earth, said in Matthew 28, verse 19, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Jesus knew each one of these men and knew what their financial status was. And he didn't care. Jesus knew each one of these men and knew about their failures in their past. And he didn't care. Why? Because much more important than what you have is who you have. The quote there in your notes is, It doesn't matter what you have, what matters is who you have. You know how we know that that is true? Because we see in Matthew chapter 28 and verse number 20, it says, Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you, and lo, I am with you always. If there was a feeling that, you know, I don't know if I should do this, I'm not qualified, Jesus got rid of that feeling and said, But guys, I'm going with you. I am going with you. I will be with you. So the question is this. Do you have Jesus, number one? And if you do, then you have everything you need to share the gospel and be involved in missions. We see that they had deep poverty. They were poor. They were under pressure. But in verse 3 and 4, we see that they were persistent. They were persistent. Look at verse 3. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift. They were empowered to give because of the great need for others to hear what they knew had affected their lives, had impacted them for Christ. And they didn't just give, they gave above and beyond their ability to give. They didn't just look and say, well, this is all I can do. They looked for ways that were outside of the norm. Now, how is that possible? How do we look and say, well, pastor, how do I give outside of my ability, beyond my power to give? It's very simple. We look for ways that we can Think outside of the box. Say, Pastor, what what does that mean? All right, I'll give you a a personal example. Or say that you look at your budget and you say, you know what? I have $10 left at the end of the week or the end of the month. And that's what I'm going to designate for missions. Okay? That is according to your ability. Hey, I have this. I'm able to give this. This is what's left. I can give this to missions. But what if you said, all right, this next week, I'm not going to eat out. And I normally eat out at least once a week on the job. Or once a week, I go to Starbucks. Guilty. 
uh, once, once a week, uh, we do this, whatever it is, fill in the blank. And there's a dollar amount attached to that. Maybe you would sacrifice and you would say, you know what, I'm not going to do that this week. And I'm going to take that money and I'm going to give that to missions. Uh, what if you said, you know, instead of the most expensive cable package that DirecTV offers, I'm going to bump it down a notch. And I'm going to save that money and give it to missions. Now you're thinking outside the box. You're not thinking, what do I have that I can give? You're thinking, what can I live without to give? That is the difference. And that's where this church was. They said, we have stuff that we don't need. Let's get rid of it so we can be involved. Let's sell it. Let's do without it so that we can give a gift. And they made Paul downright uncomfortable receiving the gift, which was awesome. It says in verse number, five, uh, verse number four that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministry of the saints. They said, we want to be a part of this. We want in. It was not something that they were made or forced to do either. Paul's not shaking them down and trying to get every single penny out of them. He said in verse number 12, for if there be first a willing mind, if you're not willing to be a part of missions, you'll never give consistently to missions. If you're not first willing to be a part, it'll never happen. Here's the thought. Think about it like this. It starts in your heart before it ever leaves your hand. It starts in your heart before it ever leaves your hand. Not only were they persistent to give, they were persistent to urge Paul to receive the gift. And maybe Paul thought, well, you know, this is a poor church, and uh, I know their poverty level, and, and I don't know if I could feel good and receive this gift. But they pressed on him, urging him to do it. They would not be denied the opportunity to be involved in what God was doing. And think about this. How willing are we how far are we willing to go without being part of what God is doing through the local church? You say, well, Pastor, uh, give me something to do. Well, you know, we're, all, we're, we're good right now. Well, Pastor, I have to have something to do. I don't think that's ever happened. Most people say, okay, I tried, Lord. You laid on my heart. And I tried. I asked. And they said they were good. What about persistently? Hey, I'm not leaving here until you give me a job. I'm not talking about a job at Chick-fil-A. I'm talking about uh, a job in service to the Lord. Hey, I want to serve. Tell me something. It might just be handing out a prayer card for a missionary, but tell me something I can do because I've got to get involved in what God's doing. I wonder how many times the Lord would love to let us in on it, we're just not persistent enough. We're, or we ask thinking, I'm just going to ask to get the Lord off my back. In an area where I already know they're full. I don't think we have any ministry leaders that would turn people away. I have several ministry leaders in the room. Would you turn anybody away? I'm looking, I'm looking for somebody to say, yeah, I'll turn people away. I don't see anybody nodding their head. 
You know, most people are like, hey, send them my way. You know, I'll plug them in right now. But persistent. Mark Dever said, Jesus said, I will build my church. In Matthew 16, 18, if Jesus is committed to the church, should we be any less committed to it? If Jesus is committed to his church, should we be any less committed to his church? We see, number one, their difficulty. Number two, we see their decision. Verse 5 and 6, nothing would keep them from being part of the work, being part of that, keep them back from being part of that. But what did they do? Number one, they gave. Look at verse 5. And this they did. They gave. They gave. They were part. Not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us. Uh, Paul may have hoped or thought, like most people think in our culture today, you know, if I apply just enough pressure, they'll feel obligated to give. And when I turn up the dial a little bit, they'll give more. Maybe that was Paul's thought. But he said, this happened first. He said, they gave their own selves. They weren't obligated to give. They had a deep desire to give. Why? Because they saw what the need was and saw what had been done for them and the love that Christ showed to them. And said, man, we can't help but give. We can't help but be a part. Because of the love that has been shown to us, we now get the opportunity to show and share that love with other people. We get to do that. We don't have to do that. So here's the question. Does the Lord want your money? No. Does the Lord need your money? No. Does the Lord want just your service. No. The Lord doesn't need us. What does the Lord want first and foremost? He wants our heart. He wants our heart. First Samuel chapter 15 and verse 22. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. God would rather have your obedience then your offering. Think about that. I don't think you'll hear a TV preacher say that. God would rather have your obedience than your offering. Jeremiah 29, 13. And ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall search for me with all your heart. Matthew 5, verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. He desires your heart. And the Lord knows that if he has your heart, hey, our schedule won't be an issue. Our service won't be an issue. We won't have to worry about, hey, should I read my Bible? Shouldn't I read my Bible? We don't have to be reminded to pray, to give, to witness. When the Lord has our heart, nothing else is bothersome. Nothing else is a big deal because the Lord has us. God would rather have all of you than have all of your money. Think about it. God would rather have all of you than all of your money because he desires to have a relationship with you. Doesn't need anything else. He desires us. It said, number one, under verse number five, they gave. What else happened? Number two, the Corinthians could grow. 
the Corinthians should grow. Remember, this is all about being an example to another church. Look at verse number 6. Insomuch that we desired Titus that as he had begun, so he would also finish in you the same grace also. At the end of the day, this is just an example. This is not the testimony of the church of Corinth. As we will find out on Sunday, their testimony was kind of stinky when it came to giving. What we see here is Paul is saying, hey, I'm showing you what Philippi has done, what Thessalonica has done, what Berea has done, all in an effort so that you will experience the same thing. Not that you would experience their same poverty, but you would experience the same grace. Remember, they were petty, selfish, immature Christians. When Titus first visited this church a year prior, he took a commitment from this church. We'll see that on Sunday. He took a commitment from this church that they were going to be involved in evangelism. They committed a gift. Hey, we're going to take up an offering. We're going to give this gift. What's the problem? They never gave it. They never gave it. It's a year later and Paul is saying, hey, I need to send Titus to collect. And I need you to re-up. And I need you to honor this commitment. And Paul is trying to get them to see that what these churches have done, they can do. And for us, church, what these churches have done, we can do. What these other churches say, Pastor, what is it going to take? Faith. What's going to happen when we exercise faith? It's going to grow. The Corinthians could grow. The grace that was bestowed to these other churches could be theirs as well. But what does God desire from us? Growth. 1 Corinthians chapter, or 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2 and 3. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. He wants us to grow. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus, Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. God wants his people to grow up. He wants us to mature. So the question is this. If we had to compare our spiritual life to our natural life, what season of life would we be in right now? If you had to take your spiritual life where you are right now in your relationship with the Lord and you had to compare it to a season of life in your natural body, Would you be a baby? Would you be a toddler? Would you be in elementary school? Would you be a middle school student? Would you be in high school? Would you be in college? Would you be a senior citizen? Where would you be? In your season of life with the Lord, what season are you in? Sadly, there are some who have been saved for years and never even taken one step. That is not God's plan. See, if you're not growing in your relationship with Him, you're dying spiritually. There are no fence sitters in the Lord's army. There are people either growing or regressing. Not anybody who stays in the middle. So He desires us to grow. And think about all that He's done for us. What could He ask us to do that would be considered too much? All that the Lord has done for us in our lives. What could be too much for him to ask? We see the difficulty that they had. The decision that they had to make. And then lastly tonight we see their delivery. In verse 7 and 8. It says, therefore as ye abound in everything. 
in faith. And he begins thinking about all of these things that the Corinthian church had grown. He gives them this, therefore, because of all that I've just said, because of all that we've just explained, and the example, here's what you can deliver on. Number one, he says, there's spirituality. He said, guys, I just want you to be a spiritual church. I want to see spiritual growth. Verse 7, as ye abound in everything. Here's the areas where they've grown. In their faith, in their utterance, their speech, in their knowledge, in their diligence or their level of commitment, in their love for other people. He said, see that ye abound in this grace also. What's the grace that he's talking about? The grace of giving. He said, hey, I, I want you to abound. You're already abounding these other things. Man, we've seen some growth. But we need to see some follow through in this area. You think about, remember the days when a man was only as good as his word Hey, I don't have any account for that guy. I don't have any respect for him because that guy cannot keep his word. I don't have any respect for him or her because every time they speak, I can't depend on them to follow through. And that was the testimony of the church of Corinth. They made a big promise and they didn't keep their word. And Paul is saying you've grown in all of these different areas and now it is time for you to grow in this area. You know, sometimes the Lord send people, sends people to remind us of our previous commitments. Hey, didn't you say that you were going to teach a class one day? Didn't you say that you were going to sing? Didn't you say that you were going to give? Didn't you say you were going to whatever? Oh, man, that's none of your business. Or you're not my mama, you know. Uh, but when we think about Sometimes the Lord puts people in our path to guide us in truth. That's what the Lord did with the Holy Spirit, remember? In John chapter 16 and verse 13, he said, How be it when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. The Lord puts people in our lives to push us, to compel us and say, Hey, didn't you say that you were going to do this? And we can either get upset about that, Or we can say, thank you, Lord, and we can honor what we said we were going to do. When we think about our life, maybe we need that for our growth today. We see their spirituality needed to be delivered upon. And then lastly, we see their sincerity needed to be delivered. Verse number 8, I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others and to prove the sincerity of your love. Paul is not talking to the same believers here that he was talking to in 1 Corinthians. Oh, sure, it's the same people. Sure, it's the same church. But a change had taken place. They were growing. They had surpassed where they were. They had started growing in all of those areas. And and when we see that, it was a simple challenge. Not a command, but Paul gives them a simple takeaway. He says, prove it. Prove it. If you say that you love the Lord, now is time for you to prove it. How do we do that? Today, in 2023, as the church, how do we do that? We love what He loves. What does the Lord love? 
He loves souls. That's how we prove our love for him. We love what he loves. We love missions because we love him. And we know that he loves us because he gave us the opportunity to hear the gospel, us the opportunity to receive Christ, and now it is our responsibility. This is a test. Do you pass the test? This is a test of whether or not we truly love him like we say that we do. And Paul said, hey, there's others involved. There's other churches who are doing the work. And now it is time for you to honor your word. Let me ask you this. How do people know that you love your spouse? Well, pastor, I told her I loved her when we got married. If I ever change my mind, I'll let her know. That's not what I'm talking about. People around you know that you love your spouse because love is an action word. We heard it in the video. Love is an action. It's not just something we say. It's something that we do and that Paul is saying prove the sincerity of your love and how do people know that you love your kids what proof do they have they think about a metal detector and I borrowed this metal detector uh, from Brandon and his dad and uh, appreciate Brandon getting it ready for me but think about a metal detector you know you see something on the uh, beach or out uh, walking maybe through your yard or going through a field. We live in a uh, Civil War area, uh, but battlefield area. And you think about a uh, metal detector. What does metal, uh, a metal detector prove? Church, it proves that there's what in the object you're scanning? You are so smart, all right? Metal detectors prove that there is metal in an object. Yes? Okay, so if I turn this on and I scan this item, all right, this is one of our little pumpkins from out in the foyer or wherever Brandon found it, okay? All right, so if I scan it, what does it tell me if there's no noise? There's no metal in this. All right, Brandon, let me have your knife for just a second. All right, do not throw that knife at me. That would be something that John Ash does, okay? All right? But when I scan over this, there is no metal, okay? But when I scan over this, it's obvious that there's something there. Now, nothing. Something. Nothing. Something. Let me ask you a question. If this was a love detector, talking about souls, and it scanned over your heart and life, would we hear any noise? Oh, pastor, I love souls. I love what the Lord has called me to do. I love people, pastor. Have you ever witnessed to your neighbor? Have you ever handed out a tract to the person who lives across the street from you? Have you ever invited somebody to church or at the grocery store? Oh, but pastor, I love souls. I love the Lord. Prove it. Prove it. There's a lot of Christians who say, I love Jesus, and when the love detector goes over, 
absolutely no sound. Why? Because when you say you love something, you love the things that they love. Hey, I, I don't really care about Pinterest, but I'll listen to my wife talk about it because she likes it. Yes, dear. Oh, that's very interesting. Sounds wonderful. Yeah, we should definitely do that recipe. Yes. I will sample it for you. Don't give it to somebody else. Let's us try it first. Let me try it first. Your health department, you know, whatever. Uh, but I say that I love my wife, and there is some evidence of that. But when I say that I love Jesus, is there any evidence? Is there any verifiable proof? How do we know that someone loves Jesus? We love the things that he loves. And when we love the things that he loves, we'll do what we can do to invest in the things that he loves. That may be serving in our church. That might be saying, Lord, here am I, send me, like Isaiah said. That may be, Lord, you lay an amount on my heart and I'll give it. That can be a whole host of things. But hey, if that love detector went over your life, there should be some noise evident. Don't let this be your life. Hey, I love Jesus, Pastor. There's no proof. Hey, we all, at times, church, honestly, this has been all of us at some point in our lives. But this is not the goal. The goal is that we would have a proven love for Jesus. And we would live out that love as we love missions. Heads are bound. Eyes are closed. Maybe tonight, as we have a music team come and we're going to sing, I have decided to follow Jesus. And I hope that you can sing that song and mean it when you sing it. That you have decided in your life to follow Jesus. Whether that is a commitment that you've already made or a recommitment that you need to make. A following Jesus looks different for everyone. We understand that. But that should start with love. There should be a love in our hearts towards the Lord. And that love should cause us to be involved in the things that he loves. How's your love level tonight? I know it's Wednesday night. I know this is a different style service than we would normally have, but how is your love for the Lord? Do you love what he loves? Pastor, why do we support missions? Because missions is the heartbeat of our Savior. That's why we support missions. and We love the things that he loves. So tonight, maybe you want to come to the altar and pray. Or maybe pray there in your seat. But, but let's start opening night hey, with our core nucleus and say, hey, I'm going to love what he loves. I'm going to love who he loves. And I'm willing to let the Lord speak to my heart and show me whatever that requires of me that I'm willing to do whatever he leads me to do. I hope that's your heartbeat tonight. Father, please bless our time. Lord, please do in our hearts what you desire to do. And Lord, if there's someone watching online or in the room that doesn't know you as their personal Savior, they've never experienced the love of Christ.
Lord, help us to have a desire to share with that person that you want to save them. You died to save them. You love them enough to save them. Lord, please show us what we need to do in this area of worldwide mission. Speak to our hearts and help us to see how you desire us to act on your word that we've heard tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with us, please. Pastor Tim's going to come and lead us in a song. Let's sing that song. Altar's open if you want to come and pray.